We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody. It's the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, and we have sort of a weird podcast schedule, as you know, this week, largely due to uh, not only the short week of a Thursday night game, but you have a holiday and then everything surrounding the holidays, which is essentially two days between Christmas Day and moving on. Long story short, the consistency of the schedule has not been what you might expect. Sorry about that. It's been a little crazy. This podcast will serve as your pregame show combined with sort of looking around the uh, state of the Browns with the mailbag, a lot going on, but it should give you an idea of what the Jets have coming in on Thursday night while also providing that sort of midweek mailbag that we like to do, almost a mini mailbag per se, if you will. And uh, I think we have a lot of uh, interesting stuff to hit on. The NFL has been busy. There's been some some bombs that have been dropping uh, as we go into these final two weeks. And uh, we're going to talk about that. I mean, the rest of the week, I, I've been bad, I'll admit, not getting the comprehensive discussion part of the podcast done. Again, wanted to do it last night, couldn't do it. The film wasn't out the way it needed to be to first do chalk talk and then do the comprehensive stuff the way I'd like to. I'm hoping to get something done as Andrew and I record right now. It's like 740 Eastern time, hoping to maybe put together a quick video of some of the stuff that stood out from the Texans game for chalk talk. Fingers crossed. See if we can get that dropped onto the OBR YouTube channel. Keep your eye out for that. But moving forward, we get a 10-day break. The Browns talk about this little mini-buy they have after the game. Andrew, I'm taking it as my mini-buy oh. as well to get the schedule back on the right path here, okay. get some consistency back to, uh, you know, I know that you and I have been doing some different stuff in Immediate Reaction podcast, which will be a little tricky, admittedly, on a Thursday night game. We'll try to get that posted after midnight or right after. If we can't figure the logistics of that out, then we'll try to get it posted first thing friday morning but i think we uh we got to get on the comprehensive stuff we're doing the fit check a different podcast we're trying to do it all layered up so you guys have more to choose from uh we're, we're trying we're a work in progress so bear with us and then we'll obviously be keeping you guys in the loop about what we decide to do with the subscription and premium content that'll be not far off here so uh, just uh, check in every day you probably are doing that uh, if you're a committed follower to this show uh, just keep doing that, and we will provide all the information that you need to know where to go to find everything that you love. Put it that way. Uh, I welcome in Andrew, obviously, to to have some banter on a, a myriad of different 
topics here, man. There's there's quite a bit of stuff here. First, I ask you as usual, though, man, how you doing and how's your night going? Doing well, Jake. It's the uh, post-Christmas hangover, I think, for everybody where you kind of start to, even if you're not going to work every day, you're still kind of getting back into the grind of the days of the week and trying to figure out where everything. But yeah, you're right with the, the game on Thursday night. It's all up for grabs, man. It, it won't feel normal until probably end of the week next week once once we get through New Year's. So I'm just enjoying it. I'm you know going day to day subsisting entirely on candy pilfered from stockings and uh wa- you know wandering the countryside looking for uh, any any surplus presents that might have been left out sort of a, a reverse grinch i guess where you're it's after christmas and you're just kind of scooping things up speaking of candy wife and i saw wonka last night hey i i am uh, personally a timothy chalamet fan there might not be as many of you out there as <laughs> i think but i think he's pretty good and i thought he was in the role that gene wilder made impossible to Phil, I thought he did a pretty good job. So if you're wondering about like a little holiday movie, a feel good story, go watch Wonka. That's my advice, okay. Andrew. That's a little nugget I have on some film stuff. There's some other ones I want to see, like Diane Claw. That's out there. Some that's a little heavier. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's a few others that are coming out at the turn of the new year. But uh, I always try to keep you guys in the loop of movies that matter. And there you go. I, I watched uh, watched the first season of Reacher because everybody on Twitter is talking about Reacher. So I, I binged the first season of Reacher. How was and, that? I uh, mean, I, I struggle with the title, Reacher. Yeah. Just, just maybe, yeah. maybe maybe you should throw that jack in there. Man, I tell you what, they lean, you gotta, it's one of those shows where you gotta lean into the absurdity of it a little bit, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the entire idea of the, the books and now the TV show is that he's just a big guy who also is very smart. And so you put those two things together, it's, it's hard to stop him. You know, he's sort of the Miles Garrett of uh, cops, I guess, or ex-military cops and so he kind of just goes where he wants and does what he wants and it's uh it's fun to watch but it's definitely one of those suspension of belief shows where you if you want to sit there and be like that's not realistic don't uh don't don't come in with that attitude because uh, you're not going to see a lot of realism it's not very gritty it's it's incredibly violent and gory but it's not uh particularly like grounded in our reality yeah, we try to give people two opposite ends of the spectrum here. You get Wonka and you get Reacher. So those mm-hmm. are our two pieces of advice for you. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking Inevitably, for there will be a movie Wonka meets Reacher. That's coming probably within the next few years where those those universes collide. Would we get Tom Cruise back in that one? Seeing as how he does the movie version, apparently. <laughs> right? Yeah. That is one of the funniest things about this is that the, you could not have cast a, a more anti-Cruise than the guy yes. that they chose and i appreciate it because it is really central to the books and it was always very funny that they tried to make up some sort of an excuse for why tom cruise was the right guy to play a guy who is very clearly written to be a mountain of a man yeah he's five eight like yeah. like 140 150 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. supposed to believe that right on yeah i know the, the guy they have playing it looks like he could be a defensive end right now so you know just to give him some credit yeah the guy is uh what he's they pretty call good at it too pretty stacked as yeah. they say. Mm-hmm. All right, we got uh, injury reports. Let's dive into some content here. Injury reports are out. Final ones. This is weird. Teams aren't really practicing this week. Between Christmas and everything, it's not much going on on the field that is uh, resembling practice. But but for the most part, I think you can get a feel for who's going to play and not. Uh, here's who is listed as either doubtful, questionable, or out on the Brown side. Corey Bohorquez is doubtful. So you don't think you're going to see him out there with the quad. So you're going to see a punter and kicker elevation more than likely because Dustin Hopkins is already been ruled out i actually have to squint so hard at this injury report because it's there's there's so long and it's hard to see which line meshes with the other but uh you're looking at uh two kicker situations here that are not good so we're going to see some elevations 
questionables uh, for Amari Cooper, but from what I understand, Cooper's going to play. It would have to be he wakes up on Thursday and just like can't get the heel to be able to do anything. I gather that he's going to play, but did he since he did not practice resting it, they're going to put the questionable tag on him. Uh, you get Marquise Goodwin with a knee, questionable. Okoronko again, the peck. There's some optimism, Andrew, that he could be back for next week's game, the season finale with that pectoral injury. He's out this week, though. One uh, Thornhill did have two limiteds and a full, and he's questionable, so it looks like he could be out there. Anthony Walker continuing after the knee scope to be out. That's not unexpected. So that's the Brown side. On the side of the Jets, you have uh, Israel Abinaconda, who is uh, running back for them. A young running back is questionable. Out is Dwayne Brown, one of their offensive linemen. You have Alan Lazard with an illness who was not even around all week, so I don't think he's going to be out there. Not that he has been playing much of late, which we'll talk to in our guest later in this episode. Uh, Jeremy Ruckert is out with a concussion, one of their uh, depth tight ends. We all know Aaron Rodgers. You know Aaron Rodgers is going to play? Did you know that? I don't know if you know that or not, Andrew, but he's not going to play. He's out. He's on the Jets? He's on the Jets now? I guess he's on the Jets now. Uh, got yep. back, took, cool. took, a, took a couple field trips. Uh, he's back at some German medicine. I think medicine I would have heard about that. I haven't heard of Pete. It's been so quiet. Zach Wilson also out. And then on the interesting kicker spectrum, again, you have uh, Greg Zerline who's dealing with a right quad injury for the Jets, and he's listed as questionable. He's limited on to, to what it would be Monday, didn't practice Tuesday, and was limited again on Wednesday. So we shall see. That's all the injury stuff. Anything there stand out to you? I think it's got to be Amari and just making sure Amari can play because there's sort of a path with Juan Thornhill. We've seen what Ronnie Hickman can do that you can – you're, you're fine there, but the only one that stands out to me from either side really is Amari, yeah. you know? Yeah, a little bit of a surprise, obviously, what he did last week. And the Jets' defense is legitimate, so you're going to need you're gonna need all of all of your receivers here. I, I, I think one of the big outstanding questions, Jake, is how motivated the Jets are going to be to come in and do this on a short week. Um, they kind of got out to an early lead against the Commanders and then shut things down early, similar to what the the Browns did, but uh, the Tex- uh, the Commanders came back further, and so they, the Jets needed a last-second field goal to win that game. I, I think it's it's easy for me to see them coming in excited to play the spoiler and delay the Browns' playoff berth to Week 18. It's also easy for me to see them kind of coming in and saying, short week, Christmas week, you know, I don't really want to go 100% here when – I know that the season's over and we just had a, a long game, you know, last week against Washington. So I, I'm, I'm very interested about that. As far as it pertains to Cooper, if the de- if the Jets defense is playing at full effort, which is what you would expect, they need Cooper to, to kind of move the ball to be able to do what they want to do on offense because we've talked about the running game, the absence of the running game quite a bit. And the Jets are, I think, better against the pass than the run overall, but the Browns running game is so bad that I think the Jets shouldn't have much trouble given what they have up front shutting it down. So if they're going to move the ball, it's going to be through the air, it feels like. Don't you agree? Yeah, I talked to Scott, our Jets guest, a little later about gauging these teams and who cares at the end of the season. You don't know which ones are going to show up and be like, hell yeah, spoiler rule, or on the flip side, like one, two, three Cancun, you know, getting, getting ready to get out of here. I got a flight book the day after our final game. It's hard to know on those. Now the vote of confidence for the current head coach probably says they keep playing hard because these guys have to stay engaged if they want to keep roles with the current staff, all of that stuff. But if you look at what the jets have been doing, they haven't won a road game since week eight, a lot of games that were just not even really 
in the ballpark of competitive against teams that are pretty good. Uh, and, and then it's like you look at this up and down nature of what they've done in just the last four weeks. They lose to the Falcons at home, which, you know, kind of like a jarring loss because the Falcons were reeling at that point. Then they go ho- go home, stay at home, excuse me, and get, you know, a huge win, a 30 to six win over CJ Stroud's Texans. Nobody saw that coming. Then they go on the road. They start to think like, okay, these guys can be competitive. You're flirting with playoffs. They have a loss to the Dolphins, 30 to nothing on the road that, that kicks them out of playoff contention. And then they come home and the commanders, and this is, a, if you go watch the film, two teams that are just like turning it over left and right. That, there was nothing pretty about that game. And yeah, the, the, the situation had a, you know, a, a huge lead for the Jets early, but you get some competent, one competent quarterback showed up in that game and Jacoby and made it an actual game late. So I, I think I tilt toward on a short week. The Jets are very much, and we don't want to be in Cleveland mode, right? But you never know. It just takes one play early that gets them in the vibe of like, we can win this game. And all of a sudden they're ready to rock and roll. So you don't want to look over any of these teams, especially a team as healthy on the defensive side as the Jets are. And they're tough and they're tough. We're going to talk about that a lot later, but one more thing before we do get to the mailbag, the mini mailbag we want to do is this Russell Wilson stuff, right, Andrew? Because this is, whether we want to like it or not, these two, Russell Wilson and, and Deshaun Watson, are tied together because sure. they're huge trades of quarterbacks around the same time. And I, and I want to remind everybody a couple things because I see that they're going to bench him for the last two weeks, largely because there's $37 million that is available to him, um, you know, guaranteed to him. I, I apologize there, Andrew. Uh, early March, uh, as long as he's on the roster, right? I believe mm-hmm. he's got to be on the roster. It could get guaranteed right now if he has whatever's deemed as a catastrophic injury. I would imagine there's a large umbrella of catastrophic injuries. But the the Broncos, whose playoff chances are very slim, single-digit playoff chances because of their loss to New England this last week, you get this this report now that they are going to bench him, hold him out, right? And there are people who are like, well, this is a very calculated move. It's a smart thing to do. It keeps them, it keeps their future protected. Doesn't mean they're done with Russell Wilson, keeps the future protected and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, man, if you're benching your guy when you still have a a single percentage point available to make the playoffs, your perceived franchise quarterback that you gave up a lot for, you gave up again, we'll talk about in a second, you gave up a lot for them, that person, that player, the culture change he was supposed to bring to bench him, there is no going back on this. There's just no going back. I guess you could try to do this because the money from Russell's side would be so appealing and the and the Broncos might have no other route to go. They deem that at some point. But to me, this is like a nail in the coffin. And I think it was reported tonight, right, Andrew, that Diana Rossini was saying that Russell Wilson's camp expects him to be cut. And I think that feels right. Yeah, so her reporting was that he expects to be cut in March and – Apparently, the Broncos reached out to Wilson's agent back in late October and explained that Wilson would lose the starting job and be made inactive for the rest of the season, so essentially threatened him if he did not defer the injury guarantee trigger date that he has for 2025, which basically that that money, as you mentioned, because it guarantees on the fifth day of the 2024 league year. So they wanted more flexibility and were threatening his job to get him to agree to that the contract wasn't amended, and so now it looks like they're headed towards a separation before that fifth day because they don't want those injury guarantees to to lock in. So it it's a pretty drastic move by the Broncos, and I think you can tell how Wilson feels about it because 
the first news that was reported was from the team side. And Rappaport and Schefter, Rappaport had an unbelievable one where he was basically, you could tell he was carrying water for the organization. Awful. All-timer awful. So, yeah, Rappaport says, while there is, of course, the financial component, this is different from Derek Carr last year when Carr was benched by the Raiders. Russell Wilson will be the backup. So he's it's he's not being made inactive. He's just not starting, which is more insulting somehow. And it's and then Rappaport says this was a football decision. So they're trying to sell it as a football decision, cynically, so that the fans don't get mad at Peyton and the and the front office. But then I think necessarily, necessarily logically, these more recent reports from Diana Rossini, that's Wilson's camp putting out back out there the story of what actually has happened. So he has been playing Jake under the threat of being pushed out the door since late October. So there was a good run in there for him. He played pretty well some of those games, including against the Browns. And we now know that that was happening at a time when behind the scene there were machinations to get him out the door. It's unbelievable stuff. And then you look at his uh, likes section on Twitter and you'll see him liking a bunch of people who are complaining about I can't believe they're they're putting Russell Wilson on the go. bench. Look at his stats compare. There is a gigantic rift that you don't come back from here. You don't no, come back. And like, if you look at what it took to get both of those guys there. So Russell Wilson's trade, they get Russell Wilson, the Broncos doing a fourth round pick in 22. Here's what they sent to Seattle. Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, Noah Fant. At the time, Shelby Harris, very good and still is proving it right now. Very good football player. Noah Fant, young up and coming tight end has been a nice player for them. Drew Locke, just a supplemental piece to chip in, but he's won some games for the Seahawks, right? Then they give up a 22 uh, first, a 22 second, and a 22 fifth, along with another first in 23, and a second again in 23. So you're talking about two first, two seconds, and a fifth. That's just to get Wilson. Then they go out and they say, we got to have Sean Payton. Those two trades are connected because you're trying to get Russell Wilson right to have this ongoing relationship, right? So in order to just get Sean Payton, if you recall, Denver sent Bradley Chubb to Miami, got back a pick from Miami, which was the San Francisco pick, which Miami received from San Francisco to move up to go get Brock Purdy. Just kidding. They didn't do that. They actually took the wrong player and, and Trey Lance uh, ended up lucking themselves into Brock Purdy late. But that pick, so that pick goes to Denver, the San Francisco pick. Denver ships that first round pick in 23, this upcoming draft, sorry, this pre, the previous year's draft over to New Orleans, along with, in this upcoming draft, another 24 second and 24 third. My God. And they gave Russ a new contract. So I know that the contract isn't as damning as Deshaun's contract, where everything's guaranteed, every penny, but it was still a really big contract. And if, and if I recall, I saw this earlier today, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, if they do cut him, they're looking at a historic dead cap number on their ledger. Something like is it 80 million? I, I know that Bill Barnwell had tweeted that out today. What the, if they actually do cut him, they are looking at a really large figure on their dead cap side of things, which you can spread over two years, but nonetheless, on top of all of the things you gave up yeah. on top of splitting up this coach and quarterback marriage that you were so adamant to try to do, you then have to eat a massive dead cap penalty on top of it. Mm -hmm. I get that the Broncos are probably going to tear it down and do some things, but like, I think it's amazing that this multi-layered decision that the Broncos made is less scrutinized than what we see the Deshaun Watson thing scrutinized, where it's like every week someone's jumping on top of yeah. the Watson contract. It carries into the Flacco performances. 
Right. I mean, I would in any day of the week rather just give up three straight first round picks and and like still have second thirds and whatever to continue to build drafts out than what they did here because this is catastrophic stuff here. It's catastrophic. And and like I yeah. I mean, we're talking about it because the Browns are not in an, a similar exact same spot here, but there is some parallel that we're going to discuss here in just a second, but but it's just jarring to step back and look at the, well, the the haul that the Broncos gave up. Yeah, and in a way they did they did two of these, Jake, right? Because the in a way the Peyton one undoes the Russell one because I th- there's no way Russell is getting pushed out the door this vehemently if he still got his hand-picked coach and all the stuff that they did last year. So the the Peyton trade kind of try is is adding more fuel to the fire to try and undo the Russell trade. And in the end, you you end up kind of making it worse in the process. And so now you're facing a situation where you're going to have this huge dead cap hit because Peyton is such a specific type of coach that he will not accept having to work with a quarterback he didn't get to choose. So at the first opportunity, they're trying to push Russell Wilson out the door. Now that they do that, the team will be handicapped for a long period of time financially because they're taking this huge dead cap hit. Now, they were at the edge of playoff contention with a team that started 1-5, and five, largely because the defense couldn't stop anybody the first month of the season. So if they solve that problem next season and bring Wilson back, it's probably a 10-win team, Jake. It's And they're, they were not they, – they beat the Chiefs. They were not out of the running at all. So the idea that they need to tear it down to the studs, absorb an $80 million dead cap hit is, is crazy to me, but it does speak to the sway now that Sean Payton has within that building. And so I think, in my mind, you expect to see the Broncos kind of go through what the Saints went through. And that means – they have to get all the uh, you know they have to get only players that Sean Payton approves of because he's he's obviously wielding all of the power and the question is is his particular brand of offensive football good enough to overcome the fact that he wants this sort of overarching control that's the bet you're making now and so and with one hand tied behind your back because of the loss of draft picks plus the dead cap hit so the, the the difference between the Broncos and the Browns is that the Browns don't have a choice. They're committed to Deshaun Watson long term because they went all in. The Broncos went half in. You're you're right. The Broncos went half in, but the Broncos got full results. It feels like the Browns have been missing the full results too. Like you only get six games last year, and then you only get what? Did he play six again this year? So I feel like we're we are f- like fully understanding if you look at Russell Wilson's stats you're like okay those look pretty good this year last year awful this year pretty good but when you really watch him you're not seeing a quarterback functioning at a high level you can see it i hope you're not going to disagree with me he's a check no, down king he doesn't throw yeah. it downfield he's a grifter in the pocket he he is not a guy i would like to be leading my offense just you you don't feel that there's any consistency to that whole product because he's not the athlete that he once was that did the heroic special things whereas i think with watson although it's not like it's a good thing that he's dealing with suspensions and injuries at all i think there's still a mystery out there of he can get back to the person on the football field that he used to be like there's still some although that that level of hope has dwindled we did see moments this year, Arizona, right? 
We saw it in Tennessee, that second half with Baltimore, like, all right, man, you can see where Watson can get back to being a version of the guy he was in Houston at his peak. Whereas Russell Wilson, you've seen it over two years and you're like this, he's what 34 now, 30, 35. This is moving in the wrong direction and we are not going to see him getting any better. And I think a reason why you still have optimism for Watson, because the Browns have him in 24 and 25, there's a tough decision in 26, but 24 and 25 minimum there's there's like, that's the flat minimum. Well, and, and the, the, the question there is if they keep uh, restructuring his contract even as soon as this offseason because that would make the 26 decision harder. It makes it spicier. It keeps going yeah, up there. Right. You know, you got to exactly. pay the credit card at some point. But That's right. yeah, like the general thing is before we get to the level of Russell Wilson can't do it anymore, I think there's still that mystery with Watson. There is no contractual, like you said, way out of this. So it's not the same discussion but there's at least an element of maybe he can get back to this. And I'm at least encouraged by what Kevin's doing at the end of the year here, offensively that like that could be a really good fit for that quarterback uh, yeah. at some point. So yeah, it's, 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 it is really interesting to see some of the stuff that they have found with Joe Flacco that you actually think Watson would be more comfortable running even than Joe Flacco is because yep. of the, the pocket moving a little bit and things that they've had to find almost by necessity, I think Jake, because of the, the offensive line woes, right? Like a lot of the, the way they're doing this stuff, part of I think what's part of what's built in is to try and slow that pass rush down a little bit and give him time for those deeper shots. Absolutely. And you're pairing it with gun run. You're pairing it with under center run. You're doing some things that I think are better fit for a guy like Watson in general, some basic RPO stuff. Yeah, I, we'll deal with that in the offseason. But like, I think that there's the biggest difference here. I kind of just wanted to reiterate as we go through these is we don't know that the performance level is as bad as, as Russell Wilson. Even though, again, if you look at the box score stats, you're going to be like, that's fine. Yeah. Watch that Broncos offense. It was bad. It was it was bad. And he was the, the leading force in the bad nature of that offense. So uh, I just kind of want to like reiterate, it's, it's something we're watching intently because these two are tied together. But I still believe that there's an element of Watson has a chance to get back to being a pretty good top 12 quarterback a chance not as high as it was when we talked about this coming off the suspension last year because you've got more data you got more evidence and now you have a huge shoulder injury but yeah. you are still optimistic that that can turn around and um, you know if a guy is going to eat up 25 percent of your cap that he can be a con key contributor in winning ball games we'll see that's to be determined yeah i, but I think run parallel i think the biggest question with watson now is the injury stuff the beyond even the play stuff because i think the Browns have kind of proven where they're at with the defense they have, that they can win with average quarterback plays. We kept on saying, I feel confident that Watson can get to that. I, I really do. But the question is, can he stay healthy? Because I think he was, I think he was basically knocking on the door of the quarterback that they need to be successful, not the quarterback they paid for, but the quarterback that they need to be successful when he got hurt the first time. And then he was fought his way back there again and got hurt again. So that to me is the big the big question going forward for the Browns isn't necessarily can you survive with this quarterback. I think they can thrive with this quarterback, but he's got to be on the field. And if he's not, they have to have an alternative beyond Dorian Thompson Robinson in my mind. So this is all offseason talk, but that that's that's where my mind goes is that this this is a question as much about his durability as he ages as it is about his play style or ability. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hype for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view, which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money. Right, It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that GameTime app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account. Redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com. It is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Which puts us right into our first mailbag question, Andrew. Question from Villa Brown says, if Flacco leads us to the AFC Championship, what would you do at quarterback next season? Right? <laughs> Here's what I will it's say. Such a good that. question, man. It, it is because he will if they if he puts them to a place they've never been 
in a long time, 30 years, AFC championship, there will be people dying for him to come back. I think that this would be a real discussion if Flacco was 35, Mm -hmm. 36. He's 38. He's about to turn 39 at the turn of the new year. It's like January 19th birthday. It's not getting younger. It's not getting any better there. So like, I just think he's just too old. I think what I would say again is enjoy the ride that you're on with him right now, because I think it ends after this year, even if he takes them to places they've never been. I do think it ends after this year. Now, is there a world where he could come back as a backup? I don't think that Watson's ego will allow that. Um, But I, I just, I don't think that's going to happen guys. I really don't. So again, I just will reiterate and you can tell me if I'm wrong, Andrew, but I I will reiterate to just enjoy the ride you're on right now. Yeah. I think, they can't afford to alienate Deshaun Watson. I think it's as simple as that. Unless they want to go the full out war route of having him be an inactive player on their active roster for the next two years, which, you know, I'd just pay him to, to live in Miami and drive cars or whatever he wants to do. Like that would be the only, that's the only way this, this goes where you keep Flacco around as a, as a high end backup. I think the, the question really, Jake, is is there somebody that can give you what Joe Flacco has done that would be willing to come to Cleveland that Watson would be okay with as a backup? You start to think about Jacoby Brissett again, who I think thought that he was going to get a chance to start in Washington, never really did. But every time he gets in there, he looks a lot better than Sam Howell. So would if he some be team doesn't in, give that guy a chance to start this year, it's, the, it's insanity. <laughs> it's insane. But, it, but it didn't happen last year. So I don't know. I, I think. I, I think there's there needs to be a, an honest conversation between Watson and this front office that they they just they cannot be in this situation again next year because yeah it, it, it and this is no offense to Dorian Thompson Robinson I'm sure with an offseason he's going to be an even better player but that's not the level of backup that the the version of Deshaun Watson that we have known needs he needs a high end backup because of his injury volatility yeah J- Jacoby back here would be such a that'd be so great but but again. You look at like even in the division, Pittsburgh would be so stupid not to sign him. Like there, there's, but you're right. They did the same thing again this last offseason, even with more recent data. Yeah. They were watching it again. So I think probably going to be on the market. There's a good chance that Flacco has other interested parties because that's what he's doing is something that's got everybody's attention. I think Jacoby, part of what hurt him is that what he did for Cleveland happened in the shadows because nobody wanted to watch this Browns team. Yeah. And that's fair. Everybody wanted to kind of ignore them and shun them. And so I don't think he got nearly the credit. And I think there was the impression with him, what him, him doing what he did within Stefanski's offense at the same time that Baker Mayfield was melting down in Carolina gave the impression that it was Stefanski, not Brissett. And I think that's unfair, but I do think it opens the door to those guys. Watson and Brissett have a relationship. This could be a truly like harmonious, but also incredibly talented quarterback room. If he came back Jacoby, if you're listening to this, I know you're an avid listener. Come on back, man. Come on back. We'll give you a nice I'm selling contract. it, right? I'm selling we'll, it pretty hard. We'll give you a nice little contract. You want to, you want a house? We'll throw it in. Yeah. I, we'll, hey, we'll, we will pitch in. Absolutely. Let us know. We'll do a GoFundMe. All right. Uh, last question on Flacco here. Uh, I said a uh, question from Cheyenne, I think is how you pronounce it. I hope I'm saying it right. Uh, I thought Flacco might be a little better than DTR, but never imagined he turned into Josh Allen. Let's pump the brakes a little. He said, my question is, one, is it a byproduct of scheme perfectly fitting the quarterback or quarterback elevating the scheme? And two, is it sustainable in the playoffs? I'll throw that to you first, Andrew. Yeah, this is actually 
a question that I've been asking myself, specifically the part where we talked a lot this season in previous seasons about the Browns' inability to get the ball downfield consistently. And all of a sudden, they're getting the ball down the field consistently. Now, Jake, you mentioned the shotgun play action stuff, which has schematically figured opened up a way for them to mitigate some pressure and lean into these deep shots that they're hitting with a shocking frequency. So I do, I do think that's a big part of it. But I also think Joe Flacco, as you mentioned, 38, about to be 39, he did not get this opportunity to hang out and throw checkdowns, right? So YOLO. Yeah, exactly. He's he's coming here to, to throw the ball. He's coming here to kind of be – I think he – the more I watch him in these press conferences, I think he relishes the role of being a little bit of a folk hero. I think yeah. that appeals to him, his sense of what he has done throughout his career, being sort of chronically underappreciated as a quarterback. But then, What, what am I going to do, make Browns fans hate me? They already do. That's <laughs> exactly. probably what his thought is. I mean, exactly. Just okay. go out there and have fun. He seems He seems – to have a perspective on his career and what playing in the NFL is like that doesn't involve an ounce of fear or regret and is centered entirely on just living in the moment and enjoying himself. And I that I think that really more than anything contributes to why he's willing to to say F it a bunch and just heave it. And I think I know that there's a whole thing about Watson and Flacco and egos and the starting quarterback always wants to be the guy. Deshaun Watson can absolutely learn from Joe Flacco's mental approach to the game. Whether or not he's willing to is a different question, but he absolutely can. Let's keep our fingers crossed that might be happening. I think to answer the first question for me, I think it's both. Like he perfectly fits what Kevin wants, and he's also just delivering the football really well. Like I think the Browns have done some great schematic adjustments the past four weeks with Joe to the point that I'm like, do I really like this offense? Because <laughs> you know me, I complain about some elements of this thing. And I'm asking myself, yeah, like, hard to where, did, now. where did this come from? Like you're mm -hmm. doing this with Joe and it's like, oh God, this is lovely. Now, I also tweeted out about five videos today of him making ridiculous throws. So it's both in my opinion right now, uh, not to skip past and kind of cheat your question, but I think that the truth lies in the, in the, in the both element of that uh, question. And is it sustainable through the playoffs? We think. So, right? Like we think it could be, and that's a part of why this is fun right now, right? Yeah. There's a chance that the Browns play the Chiefs in round one or round two and Spagnolo gives them a game plan and just destroys them or they play playoffs. They play, you know, they get maybe in through the first round and they play Mike McDonald and the Ravens on the road and he gets beat up and he can't do it. But for now, like you're seeing, I think, a coach in Kevin who's very comfortable in, in putting together where he thinks def defenses are going to be weak and delivering his message to the quarterback that's going to seep in, and he's going to be able to attack those spots, attack those things. Even some of Joe's turnovers, some of the interceptions, have not been like he didn't even see that. It's just been like pressure has kind of like landed in his lap a little bit, some things that have made him take a little bit off the football here and there. I don't think there's been a ton of that stuff. Like There's the one against Chicago where – he didn't quite see the TJ Edwards play, which was really good. Jumped that to tip the ball up in the air. But like, I don't know, man. I, I don't see him misreading a ton of stuff. So if they can get on the same game plan, I'm not I'm not here to say what they can't do. I think you and I have determined that recently. Yeah. We're not here to say what they can't do. I will I believe that they can play with if if they're getting this like the FedEx 
air player of the week <laughs> throwing it 40 times a game and doing it relatively comfortably doesn't look like a burden he's driving he's the driver of the offense yeah. right now he's not a passenger so no. i'm not going to put a cap on what they can do man any quarterback can go on a three game heater four game heater he could ride this thing into the playoffs and do some unbelievable yeah. shit that's that's all i know that it's it's really as simple as that we watched the nfl for a long time jake and you see these nonsense stories that come out of nowhere and break your brain. And the Browns have one of those right now. Uh, We've talked about Nick Foles and what he did for the Eagles back in 19. This happens from time to time in the NFL. It doesn't make sense. You can't explain it, but teams get hot. The quarterback that's on the team gets hot and you just kind of see how far it can go. This is like skipping a rock, man. You don't know exactly how many times you're going to get that thing to skim the surface. You're just throwing it as hard as you can and then watching. And that's, we are now in the watching part where I'm could not be more excited about this game tomorrow night. I, and that's true for tomorrow night. That's true for a week and a half in Cincinnati. That's true for the first round of the playoffs. This isn't in 2020. There was a sense of, are they getting away with this? This is all found money, man. And it, this is the sort of thing that happens in the NFL from time to time. And we just haven't experienced it as Browns fans. This this particular chemistry has never been available because they haven't ever had the the quality of leadership, the quality of people in the building to actually build a team. It's been together for multiple years. It's been through the bad times. And so now they're enjoying the good times. And that's where they are. It's unbelievable. And it's the fact that it's happening in this season with all of this adversity feels unlikely but then also it is absolutely a product of everything they've been through already this year i love the skip rock uh, metaphor there where it's like we're in the phase right now where it's been skipping longer than either of us expected exactly. and i look at you and i go do you believe this shit what yeah, yeah like it's, it's a wave and it just keeps going yeah, yeah. it doesn't make yeah. any sense but exactly. uh that's exactly where we are okay next question is are failures in the run game strictly at the line of scrimmage the texans game plan on d was absolutely to dare flacco to beat them Teams are still loading up to stop our run first. Could that approach start to change cover two shells and we might have more success running against lighter boxes. Um, There have been teams playing too high. Like if you look at the big throws that they've hit lately, guys, those are too high looks The teams are not loading the box. Now, if the Browns invite them in two tight ends, 12 personnel stuff, they will, but they're not loading the box. The Browns are beating two deep shells. The first throw to Amari Cooper is just match quarters and Cooper presses the corner outside. And then as they're going to sort of box in the play side, safety's trying to box Cooper in, he gets too shallow and Coop beats back inside, puts a foot in the ground on the outside, gets back inside, catches it over Jimmy Ward's head, right? They've caught some cover three, but they're, they're getting a lot, a lot of cover two. They're, they're getting quarters cover six, they're beating a variety of coverages. And I'll just say again, I thought Joel Batonio said it best earlier this week. It's a one guy running game thing. One play, they miss the block on the pull. Yep. They don't seal him. They don't drive him out. One time, they don't get a crackdown on the three technique. They don't get a guy to climb to the linebacker in time. It's not all Jerome Ford. I'm telling you, I don't think Jerome Ford is God's gift to running the football here. Not saying that. But there are times where there is space and they're just not getting to the people they need to get to. Now, there are also a couple times where I'll see like, oh, I think Jerome missed that cut. Didn't see it. But it's an everybody run game problem. But I don't see it as unfixable. If they all just have a week 
right? Because sometimes run game is like passing game. Well, you know what happened in the passing game? Well, the quarterback just missed. He missed some throws. Mm-hmm. They're missing some blocks. If they can get the blocks thrown and Jerome can make a guy miss or see the right cut, it's going to pop at some point. Okay. I'm just telling you, I've got some clips from the Texans game where if you see the space that is there, there are plays to be made in that game. And they got some, you know, the Texans had some dudes. Malik Jackson's a, it's a dude inside for them. Like they got some guys. Uh, hopefully I didn't screw that name up. Um, but, but they, they got um, Sheldon Rankins. They got, they, they got some players. They, they were giving the Browns some fits at times. So, uh, I, again, I will just say that, that, that when I watch the Texans game, I'm like, man, one block right there. You get that one. You got a chance for five or six yards. So I don't think the run, my moral of the story for me is I don't think teams are saying Flacco beat us. They're past that. That's the Browns formula. I think they're taking risks in the run game and saying, can the Browns beat us in the run game? And I don't think they're that far off from doing it. Yeah. They just have mm-hmm. to play better at, all, at the initial block down reach block linebacker crack like they got to do better at those things i don't think they're that far off and i wouldn't be uh, surprised to see them put together a decent game tomorrow night i think tomorrow night has a chance to be better and i think the real get right game is going to be in cincinnati where the the Bengals are probably going to be eliminated from the playoffs and are probably not going to be in the mood to get in the run fits on some power stuff and the browns are going to get after them a little bit i think the browns love running against the Bengals; they always have and i think i think it's one of those things that you just kind of get used to. And so I expect that to be, they don't, they probably won't need that game. So it would make sense to run the ball a bunch and just kind of sit on the ball. That, that I think is the place to, to get it right. And then you've got something going, going into the playoffs. You've got a little bit of a two game stretch of really running the ball a little bit better. There's starting to be some confidence. Part of it also, the offensive line is, it is what it is talent wise, but it is, these guys have played together for a few weeks now, so you expect to start to see that to gel at some point. Okay, so we interrupt the mailbag to deliver <laughs> to deliver breaking some news. It's this is breaking news. news. Yeah. We missed this earlier today. It was uh, no, it wasn't that long. It was eight nineteen. So we're we're recording at eight twenty seven now, Eastern time. The Browns have dropped a video of your uh, week sixteen MVP NVP Nickelodeon VP. Mm-hmm. What was valuable mm-hmm. Nickelodeon valuable player? That's right. I guess. Yep. Um, to slime the Browns are getting slimed. They're playing so well right now. They're included in some of the most fun stuff for kids out there to to, to throw up. And I, I, I said it's slime. I didn't mean to say throw because it looks like throw up. But uh, <laughs> it is uh, Joe Flacco wearing slime glasses uh-huh. and, uh, here, which we have. Uh, so Joe- Cooper wins the award, and then he gets to slime Flacco. How does that work? Does he pick the slime person he wants? Is that I, I don't know. I I guess he maybe he got him as a volunteer. All right, well, we're going to watch this live, right. and then we're going to play uh, play the audio for you um, uh, kind of at a low level while we, re- while we watch it live with some audio. So here it goes. So we have Coop. He is uh, he's talking through, uh, you know, a little bit. <laughs> Joe's already losing it, already cracking up. That is oh, so much slime. That is a lot of slime. We get a slow-mo replay oh, of the slime. <laughs> this is good as it gets. Oh man, <laughs> he's covered like that is a lot of slime. I wonder how that washes out of the hair. Is it friendly to getting out of the hair? Because look at him. Oh, he's, he's immediately going to the going to the oh hair. He's immediately moosing up. <laughs> These oh guys are man. having fun. That's a great clip. That is so much fun. All right. Well, if you want to watch it, we'll link it in the uh, the description of this episode. But that is this is just this. I mean, I know it's. I, 
I was we talked about this the other day, the national respect thing, and I know it's goofy, but we've said this so many times. Part of the joy of the NFL is the stuff that happens around the game on a weekly basis, you know, and being a part of those conversations. It, it's been 20 years in the desert where it's like you might as well not even be a team. You, you're not even in the conversation. Or if you are, yeah. it's about who's in the running for the first pick, who's going to fire their coach. It's all these these conversations that are more hope than reality. It's never what actually happens, what might happen. And this is just the Browns doing dumb stuff and celebrating because they're playing like one of the best teams in the league. It's it's I just I want to savor every one of these dumb moments because they just don't happen that often to the Browns. And it's also this year where they've been like, hey, you go over there in the corner. We're not going to talk about you guys unless we have to kind of thing. And uh, now I guess that since Watson's removed from the equation right now, they, they, uh, they're earning some of that buzz. That's fun. That's it's it. really fun, man. Um, okay. Back to the, back to the mailbag here. Question from Philly was, if you look at miles stats in depth, this is the fourth time in five years that he's had a vast majority of sacks in the first half of the season. Do you think this is a product of constant double teams wearing him down? I'll say yes, a little bit, but I'll also say teams at the end of the season, have, have probably said to themselves, who's really good on this defense. Right. 95. Mm-hmm. Let's not let him beat us this week. <laughs> I think that's a large part of it. Now there have been some injury things that have happened to him one year. He had COVID late in the year um, that, that held him down in the 2020 season a little bit. It has been some of that stuff, but I genuinely think as the years wear on um, not years, excuse me, the, the seasons wear on into the late portion of the season, offensive line, get you know, guys get beat up and they're like, we can't let, this guy single-handedly ruined us. There's a little arrogance at the beginning of a football season where a team's like, ah, we'll be fine. We'll block him up a little bit. We'll just do these things here. And it's like, oh God, we forgot how good that dude is. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some of that. It's also, you know, sacks are capricious, man. Like you cannot predict when they're going to happen for you a lot and when they're not. It is. Yeah. That's the most important point here. Up, up and down. The good thing for Miles and why I continue to be like, he's fine is the pressure numbers are the best in the NFL over the last four weeks. He's still exactly. doing his job. That's That's these it. quarterbacks are getting rid of the damn thing quick, or they're going away from him in movement. And uh, mm-hmm. like Kevin got up on the soapbox and said a week or two ago, like that's the ultimate compliment. It's the ultimate compliment. And he's a game changer in that regard. Right. There's two things here. There's looking for his impact in the game on sacks specifically, or there's looking for his impact on the game by watching the game and seeing how he changes the way offenses approach him and the, their defense in general. The one has changed over the course of the year. The sacks have diminished. The other one hasn't changed. He's as impactful as he was early in the season. It's just not showing up in, in the stat box as often. And I think a lot of it is is luck. We The NFL is a small sample size game. You get 17 games to try and draw conclusions about a sport that is complicated, very, very complicated. And a lot of what it comes down to is the way that an oblong ball bounces, the way that 11 adult men play to play together and, and communicate together and relate to each other. And these things are really hard to, to measure. So you end up trying to use sacks to, as a crutch to measure how these things go. We've talked about it before. A lot of people that cover the league nationally cannot watch every game every week. So you end up with some people that who's playing best on defense sort sacks by most to least and talk about the first three guys. That's how they do it. And you can criticize that approach or you can say that their job is too demanding and they don't have time to do anything else. But I, 
there's no question that if you look at how he impacts the game on a weekly basis, he's the most important defensive player in the league. He's the most uh, he's the most dangerous defensive player in the league, and he causes a, a ton of havoc whether or not he's getting sacks. And so, unlike last year, where he truly there was a few games where he was a non-factor after that car accident, even with the shoulder injury he suffered this year, he has continued to be the most productive pass rusher in the league if we're t- counting pressures and not sacks, which is what you have to do. Well said. Nothing to add to that. Next question comes from Dave Clark. If Thornhill is a, uh, is fit for Thursday, who's starting at free safety, Juan or Ronnie Hickman? I'll say this. When you get signed to a decent contract, you're given a longer leash, right? Because you've committed money. It's like a high draft pick. If you've committed money to them, resources, you get a longer leash. I don't think Juan Thornhill has been bad this year when he's played. I think he's been fine. I think if he's healthy and fit to go, he will play. Mm-hmm. If it continues to get worse or he's perpetually bad into next season, Ronnie Hickman will be waiting there to take that job, right? But I, well, I, do, I do think that Thornhill deserves that role when he comes back to play. But then, so do you think they play Bell at the other safety and Hickman's on the bench? Yes, okay. because that role is different. Ronnie's right. been right. in the single high post safety stuff. He's not been playing down near the line of scrimmage. So, right, so I, I think... Yeah. I, one of the things that I've been wondering, and I think is is maybe part of what this question is getting into, is does Thornhill, because Hickman's been playing so well, does Thornhill go closer to the line of scrimmage and Hickman stays on the field if you're choosing between Hickman and Bell? But it's a question of whether they think the the who's whether they want to get Thornhill on the field in his preferred position or if they want to get Bell off the field most, right? That's a great question. I know they've been splitting uh, Deron Harmon's snaps there with with Bell. Right. I think they view them differently, but anything is on the table. I mm-hmm. if I had to predict it, I would say Hickman would not be playing very much, is what and I would they predict. Sort of they would keep Bell and Harmon there until yeah, okay. Grant gets back. That's okay. my guess. Could yeah. be wrong. They could go a different direction. We'll see. Ronnie deserves a lot of credit. He has played really good football in a time of need, and so has DeAnthony Bell that played really yes. good football. And Deron yeah. Harmon stepped in seamlessly, and it's a something we talked about earlier this week. They deserve a massive pat on the back for that. And and it's like they are filling in and they know that when those guys are back, they're they're passing it on. But it doesn't mean they stop pushing them. And it doesn't mean the Browns stop evaluating them to take those jobs if the guys aren't meeting the standard. Right. And it also allows them to do in maybe obvious pass situations, maybe then Hickman and Thornhill are the two and they can pull Bell off the field in that situation because you prefer to cover safeties in that. So they they really, I think it's it's all, as we said earlier in the year, week. It's all plus because it's it's versatility now they've got. Now there's a chance going into next year they they don't bring back the veterans, McLeod or Harmon. But you're talking about eight defensive backs here with real experience and not just like on the field playing kind of poorly, some ups and downs, really good experience that the Browns can get pretty damn creative in their heavy defensive back packages. That's exciting. That's really exciting. Now I do value the Deron Harmon uh, Rodney McLeod role because that veteran has been important to them. And obviously McLeod has been hanging around and doing like that sort of in the coach's office deal. Like they've been talking about this. He's still around and giving the insight. I value that, but I, I do think that you should feel excited about the young group that they have here at safety and some of the flexibility on top of the cornerback group that we think is uh, pretty exciting too. All right. Uh, next question is from Evan Dawson, friend of the show, said Brees Hall had 16 targets last week, which is astronomical for a running back. We've had trouble and over-pursuit on defense. The lay public will say 
something like J just have JOK spy the running back all game. What's the actual way to deal with this issue? I don't think they change who they are. I really don't. I think the good thing for us in this scenario is that a game where Brees Hall has the game he had last week, you're like, that's right. That guy's really good. And it tips your scale to say, we have to have eyes on him all the time. Mm -hmm. If I'm in curl flat, if I'm in hook, I know where he is because what's Trevor Simeon going to do with the football all game Thursday night. He's getting that thing out fast. And that usually means quick throws. It's the Joe Burrow thing. Joe, when Joe plays Cleveland, he knows he's, he's done it for years. Like Joe Mixon's a heavy target guy. They're going to throw to him. I don't think you sit here and say like JOK is going to spy the running back or be on him all night. They'll play man where they'll have him or they'll have DeAnthony Bell cover him, but it's not going to be a situation where they have one guy committed to him. Now, the, I think the Jets will try to get creative. They'll try to identify man-to-man situations. They'll throw that rail route out of the backfield. We've seen the Browns get beat on that a couple times. The Ravens beat them on it. Jonathan Taylor beat them on it in Indy. Expect yep. to see that where they try to make JOK run the course, right, which is run the course and trail him and be able to get in position to knock that away. They'll get creative with him. But I, I talked about this a little bit earlier in the week with the kick return stuff, Andrew. I don't mind when that happens. You never want it to happen, but I don't mind when it happens in a game like that because it just it heightens your awareness. We cannot let that happen. When you look at the Jets' offense, there are two players that you can't let beat you. Garrett Wilson, who they'll be very aware of, and you can't let Brees Hall catch the football out of the backfield and beat you. He's, they're, they're, they're two only two weapons that really matter, that yeah. scare you. So I, I don't think – I think Evan kind of answers his own question. It's a combination of man zone. They're not going to commit one person to him. They just have to be very aware of where he is and very keyed into his tendencies and those route running concepts that teams like to do very specific things with their backs out of the backfield. I expect them to have a good feel for those tendencies. Yeah. The defensive backs got to come up and tackle too. That's part of it, right? You, you can, you can dump the ball off all day long. If Emerson and Ward and Newsom are ready to get them on the ground, maybe Cam Mitchell's out there at, at times because he can tackle like a, like a banshee so you you know you just you hit them hard and drop them and that's it i i'm <laughs> i'm worried about the jets defense making the jet the browns offensive line look bad and some of the stuff that they can do with pass rush and in the secondary i am not losing any sleep i'm not worried in the least about the jets offense like i would be i, I wouldn't be that much more worried about it if it was aaron Rodgers. like nathaniel hackett is not a good offensive coordinator he's proven that over the course of this year, over the course of his previous stops, Trevor Simeon's not a good NFL quarterback. They don't have an offensive line. Like this is going to be uh, for the Browns defense at home. This is going to be a lot more like Arizona than it's going to be like Baltimore or one of these teams that that can really throw stuff at you. The 49ers. This is going to be a mismatch. This is supposed to be a national heat praise on the Browns defense game, right? It's going to be. It's I gonna would be, be stunned if the Jets came in there and were consistently moving the football and scoring, I would be stunned the way the Browns defense plays at home and feeds off the crowd. And it is going to be an electric environment in that, in this game, one in which your boy is going to, I don't go to, to too many games, Andrew. And and I like, haven't been to, I went with Cody, our good buddy, OBR colleague, Cody Sook earlier in the year. He's kind enough to, to lend a ticket uh, when his friend can't go that he has tickets with. I haven't I hadn't been to one in a while, went to the 49ers game. That was a lot of fun. I was like, you know what? Yeah, how did that turn out? It went it went, you know, it went okay. Went okay. Mm-hmm. A little excitement in the crowd for that one. This one, night game. Can't say I've ever seen a Browns game at night, personally. Yeah. So that's a thing. 
chance to clinch the playoffs. Haven't seen that in person before. I just, you know, I kind of just want to be a fan. I, I talk well, about this on this pod all the time. I, I like to, and I pride myself on not being biased. And I think sometimes you guys get pissed at me for that, but I am a fan. And the reason I wanted to talk about the Browns way back when 2017 was because I care about the Browns, but sometimes it's, it's fine to like take the analyst hat off and just go be a fan and sit in an environment and soak that up. And I'm kind of excited about that, man. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the team since the return 2020, they clinched against the Steelers. There was nobody in the stands, right? Yep. Very limited. If I recall, very limited. Yeah, a few thousand people. Yep. When they clinched in, 2 against the Falcons, it was that plus a few other things needed to happen for them to get in the playoffs that day. It was not a clear win and you're in situation. So, and it created this, one of the better moments in Brown's history since they returned in the run, exactly, run thing. Exactly. Right? right. So even with those caveats, it still is one of the most memorable games the Browns have ever played since the return. This is the first full stadium, clear win and you're in playoff game, uh, regular season game the Browns have had since they returned in 1999. Those are the stakes. So when you put it that way, there's not a better game to go to since 1999. That's kind of crazy to say out loud, right? The get-in ticket cost for this one uh, is currently right around 200 bucks. So we know that this is pretty rare for a Browns late season home game to have a ticket cost at that number. So It's going to be a party. Uh, it's going to be. Uh, and that's the thing, kind of to answer that question. I, I think that I would be pretty stunned if I was watching Simeon and the Jets have like 12 or 13 first downs that don't include garbage time, right? Like that would be like, I can't believe what I'm watching stuff because the everything about how they've played at home, how they've handled teams like this with quarterbacks like this tell you it's going to be very difficult for the yeah. Jets unless some fluky slip and fall nonsense type stuff happens, which you cross your fingers, that stuff doesn't happen. So there you go. The only thing preventing me from feeling a hundred percent confident in that is that it's the Browns and it's, you know, it's the overconfidence, but I am trying to move away from that. So I, I really am trying to, with my full voice say, they are going to kick the shit out of these guys tomorrow night. That's what we should be believing. So we should be believing two questions when we're out the door. Why do people use the success of the defense against Kevin Stefanski for coach of the year? If I'm not mistaken, he is the head coach and teaches his philosophy and imparts his culture on the team. And he hired the coach that turned around the defense. I get, he doesn't call the defensive plays, but he does coach them. That's Jason Reinhardt on the question. I could not agree more. It is really weird to watch people use that as a detraction. Like we said all the end of last year, Andrew, he gets another crack at hiring the defense, probably his last chance to, to, to fix the defense. And he fixed it. There were a lot of coaches out there that were on the market that got hired this offseason who yep. have been bad. He did not get one that has been bad. He got the perfect fit for the personnel. And now I don't know who all had a hand in that hiring if somebody forced him. But as far as I know, that is his hire to make. And he made the hire. And the culture stuff belongs to him. The, the defensive coordinator coming in and helping that and them getting on the same page is a byproduct of him. So yeah, stop trying to take that away from him when he had to make the hire and get it right. And he did. And he clearly lets Jim be Jim. He doesn't micromanage him. He lets him be him. He lets his defense filter through him, their belief system. And that's exactly the, how many of these situations have you had out there in the NFL 
college, high school, where the head coach calls one side of the ball and there's a contentious relationship with the other side. Exactly. You're not doing your job, micromanagement right. nonsense. I, from everything I see in here, Kevin's a delight to work for. He's a delight to coach with. I think he deserves more credit there, and it's a little annoying that he doesn't get it. Yeah, I think that there's an interesting conversation to have in the offseason about how you parcel all of this out. And it to me, it's a conversation about what to expect for next year. And I think there's also a potential conversation about Jim Schwartz getting head coaching interviews. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. For this conversation, I'll just observe that the other candidates that were at the top of the list for the Browns, one of them, Sean Desai, got hired by the Eagles. He has already been relieved of play calling duties on the defensive coordinator side and replaced by Matt Patricia, who is, is speak about a contentious relationship between offense and defense. Nick Sirianni replacing Sean Desai after less than a season with Matt Patricia is as you guys don't know what you're doing of a move as you can possibly make. And it will absolutely come back to haunt them in the playoffs. But that, so that, whether that's on Sirianni, whether that's on Desai, whatever, the Eagles defense has been disappointing compared to expectations this year. Brian Flores has obviously been incredibly successful in Minnesota. It's a very different defense philosophically. So that's a, that's a hard one to talk about. I know Gerard Mayo was involved in the search. He's still in New England, and it's hard to know how to parse out responsibility there, but the Patriots obviously have had a really rough year. I, I think the Browns made the right decision. I think that they deserve a ton of credit for making the right decision, and I think – there's a lesson to be learned, as I have said before, there's a lesson to be learned from seeing the talent not living up to expectations and making a change in the coaching staff to try and help that talent achieve to its level. And if you look at how they've handled some of these first-time coordinators, the Browns offense, like, I mean, Matt Burke was a guy they could have hired, right? Yes. And they handled it quite well, among mm -hmm. many others. We don't need to go through all of them, but they've done fine, so... Credit to Kevin where I think it's due. Last question, and we're going to start really focusing. There's a lot of these questions, guys, we didn't get to. We're going to have a bigger sort of like air quotes here, mega mailbag next week during the 10-day uh, layover that we have between games. So we'll have more time to answer these questions. We'll get to a lot of them. But the fair question is, as we kind of put off a little uh, playoff prediction article, kind of the highest percentage of odds of matchups in the playoffs, and start to think about if the Browns get this game done, what does the future look like, right? Um, and the question here comes from Kent. He said, if Cleveland wins and Baltimore loses this week, how would you handle the rest in week 18? I go for the division or try to be healthy for the wild card round. Just me, Andrew, if I have any chance to win the division, I am playing through it all the way. And I know Pittsburgh is a long shot, but Pittsburgh already beat them on some fluky stuff earlier in the year. It could happen. It just could happen. You never, these AFC North games, anything can happen. And, I would not send the message to my guys in week 18 of, hey, we're playing it careful for this, even though the division is still open. No, you chase the division until the division is done. Right now, if you're both kicking off at 1 o'clock and the Ravens are up 27 nothing at halftime, you might reconsider some things. But I'm playing it through because division titles are nothing to scoff. And how sick would you be if the Steelers came back from like a 13-3 deficit and won 17-13? And you're like, man, we shouldn't have rested these guys because we could have really won a division title, right? So that matters. I think it matters, and I'm playing it all the way through. What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting because the the Browns, obviously, the last time they made it to the playoffs, they clinched in 2020 by beating the Steelers, who were resting players. And it was tight. 
it was it was 24 22 i just looked it up yeah um so so we don't have any information on how stefanski would choose to rest players in a situation where the outcome is meaningless in this situation where the outcome is in doubt i don't think there's any chance that he rests anybody because i i can't see preaching a message of going one and oh every week for the entire season and the team buying into that and then being like actually not this week psych that doesn't matter it's it's 0-1 this week, but 1-0 next week. That, I don't think, jives with anything he said. If the game doesn't matter, it's a different conversation. And I think a very interesting one, we'll cross that bridge if and when we come to it, for this scenario where the Ravens have lost to the Dolphins, the Browns, the other thing to remember here, the Browns are coming off 10 days rest at this point. So I think you feel like you have a plenty of reason to go out and play a football game and yeah. get ready to come back a week later and and play in the playoffs and at least a half, right? Right, you know, and like yeah, that. exactly. Let the rest of it fall where it may. But I think you definitely. I I don't think there's any argument for resting players when there's a chance of doing more because the think about what the Browns' trajectory becomes if they can somehow get a home playoff game. It changes their playoff trajectory immensely. So if there's yeah. even a one percent chance. Yeah, I, I think if there's a slim chance, you gotta you gotta take it because again, the messaging to your team is, oh, we're punting on the division. Nah, that, that's not cool, right? So we'll keep in mind uh, some of those things as we get to them next week. There were some good questions about which team would you prefer, and we are going to dig in to the nitty gritty details of that next week. Uh, I promise, uh, digging into which team, maybe AFC South team you want to play, but for now, we need the Browns to get it done right? Need them to get this Thursday win and get in. I think it'd be ultimately would be fine if they lost this game and the Steelers lost out in Seattle and you got into the playoffs. Like we just, you just want to get in, but you want to be with the way this has all gone of late. You want to win and get in like you want to win and get in and feel really good. And you want to have that moment with your fan base on a nighttime field. Like, like they need to get this done. I think they know that if you watch what they're saying and how they're acting, they, they are feeling sure. it. They're feeling connected to their city in a unique way here. So uh, a lot, Andrew, to be excited about with this Thursday night football game. I really actually genuinely can't wait for this game. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The The Browns, I think the other thing, that to go back to the conversation we just finished, the Browns are hot. They've won three in a row. They should stay hot. It's good to have a winning streak. It, it breeds confidence guys get excited it 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 it's snowballs good things breed more good things in the world it's that's how it works so yeah they should stay hot they should stay hot they should blow out the jets tomorrow night they should clinch a playoff berth in front of their home fans and then they should go to cincinnati and take care of business there and you go into the playoffs on a five game winning streak jake that's you're a ball of knives man nobody wants to play you i'm with you it'd be a great outcome it'd be a great outcome we just want to see these guys get into the playoffs and make noise. And they're in a good position to do that. Good position to do that with a team that's doing the right things at the right time. So really excited about Thursday night football through the course of this podcast, I'm calling an audible. So I'm going to leave this mailbag on its own and then actually uh, put out a separate bonus episode of behind enemy lines uh, with our jets guest. So you can find that one uh, as well. So keep your eye out for that. So we'll have two separate podcasts that you can, take a listen to the jets one will be a little quicker than this one but we're already pretty deep into the 
to the hour mark. So uh, anyway, great, great mailbag here. We're going to have even more mailbag stuff coming for you next week. You guys are asking great questions. Appreciate that. Continue to appreciate donations you guys are giving to the podcast. We'll keep you apprised of the movement decisions that we make in the coming week or so. Uh, always appreciate you guys taking the time to, um, you know, care about that stuff, first of all, because that that means a lot to us and reaching out the way you guys have means a lot. So good times, good vibes. I think we could have a chance to have some really fun podcasts in the coming five days, and we can't wait to deliver those to you guys. So as we always say, thanks for the community you guys form around this podcast and the OBR website. We appreciate you from Andrew and I. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day whenever you're listening to it. We'll talk to you after the Jets game. Until then, go Browns. Go Browns.